still in the correspondence of the Advent devotional that we've been reading here the last few weeks. The film is one hour and 15 minutes long, so we encourage and welcome everybody to come and, and uh, watch and enjoy that movie after service here today. And now we'll have our greeting time. And now for, I guess, our second greeting, our welcome. Um, today is the fourth Sunday Advent. Ad, excuse me here. We at First Church would like to welcome you, whether you're here in person, listening on the radio, or watching on Facebook. We are blessed that you are part of our service and hope that you find God's love and presence while you worship with us this morning. And today is the fourth Sunday in Advent, when we light the candle of peace. We will now have our Advent reading. We'll be led by our three amigos. Right? Come on up. Ms. Reinecke, Mr. Ansfall, and Mr. Hoagie. As we gather around the Advent wreath today, we rejoice that Christmas is a time of prayer and of open hearts. When we sing songs of joy, Christmas is a time of worship, the moment when the busiest of us pause and wonder. Christmas happens when God comes to us in love through Jesus Christ and fills us with love for other people. John 3:16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We light this candle to proclaim the coming of the light of God into the world. With the coming of the light, there is love. Such great love helps us to love God and one another. Second scripture, Romans chapter 13, verse 8 through 10. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you that Jesus showed you your love for every person, babies and children, old people and young, sick people and those who, who are strong, rich people and those who are poor. Come to us in this Advent season and give us love in our hearts for the, all the people. Amen. Thank you, guys and gals. Now let us lift up our voices and praise with the praise team sing House of the Lord. Good morning, First Church. Isaiah 9 says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, no end. 
He will reign on David's throne and over that kingdom, established and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. We have so much to rejoice over the love that he has given us. There is joy in the house of the Lord today.
We ask, Lord, for your guidance in our lives. We come to you because we know that you are the ruler. You are the king of kings. You are Lord of lords. And you have come to this world in order to save and redeem your people. And so, Lord, we are joyful this morning. We do praise you today because of all of these things. And we ask, Lord, that in, in our hearts today, in our minds, in our very lives, Lord, that you would rule over all. We ask, Lord God, that, that even as we gather in this place, even as we sing our praises to you and lift up our prayers, that you would help us to, to set aside the distractions that sometimes come with this time of year. Lord God, we are certainly grateful for, for the, the opportunity to gather with family and to celebrate Christmas and to look forward to the new year. But Lord, we ask that in all of these things, that you would help us to not be distracted by the bright lights in the presence but to be able to, to pause and remember who you are and what you have done for us. Father God, we thank you and praise you for your loving kindness and your provision. Lord, you are, you are King of Kings. You are the creator and sustainer of this universe. Yet in your Son, Jesus Christ, and through the presence of your Holy Spirit, you meet us where we're at. And you provide for every one of our needs. And so we ask, Lord, that, that for everyone that's gathered here today, for those that are listening on the radio or watching online, that you'd help us to know and experience your presence, to know your provision, Lord, and that you would, that you would guide and watch over us. So, Lord, for those that are in need of healing this day, we ask that your healing hand would be upon them. For those that are in need of provision, we ask, Lord, that you would provide exactly what is needed. And, Lord, in that, in that same way, we ask that you would help us to be your hands and feet in this world today. For those that are hurting, help us to be a source of comfort and strength. For those in need, help us to be, to step in and be that provision, Lord. And for those that desperately need to hear your gospel, that, that need to know you, Lord, help us to be your voice. Help us to proclaim the good news so that they may hear and respond to it. Lord, we also pray for our, uh, the, the authorities over us as your word calls us to do. And so this day we pray for our local governments, Lord, our for the village of New Knoxville, for Auglaise County and the surrounding communities. We ask for guidance and wisdom for our leaders. And we thank you for the, those that do work in those areas, Lord. And we ask that you would bless them and that they'd have a hunger and thirst after your righteousness, that they would be filled. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to guide and direct us as a church. As we look ahead to the new year, Lord, help us to always be striving to to follow you wherever we may go, wherever you may lead us. Help us to be the church that you call us to be in all things, big and small. And may you be glorified in and through the ministry of this place. We pray these things and all, all these things in the name of Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. And at this time, I want to invite our children forward for a children's chat with Pastor Tori. Good morning. There's a couple more coming. How are you guys? Good. So who can tell me what's next week? It's Christmas. Are you excited? Yeah. Yeah? So are you excited for no school soon? You guys get out on Wednesday, right? Or Tuesday? Tuesday. Oh, my goodness. For you, Wednesday. That's so exciting. Okay, so I have two gifts here. 
And if I were to ask you which one you would pick to unwrap, which would you pick? This one? You'd pick the brown paper. Okay. Some of you would pick this one. Some of you pick, might pick this one. Why this one? Because it looks bigger. It looks bigger? Is it in prettier wrapping paper? Yeah. yeah? Okay. And it's bigger. I don't know. This one's kind of big, too, though. It's fatter. Okay, that makes sense. Maybe there's something better in here than in here. (laughs) So if you were to get up on Christmas morning and your gift was to look like this and it had your name on it, how would you feel? You wouldn't open it? (laughs) Oh, you would? (laughs) It might be books. You'd feel fine. Okay. So, you know, on Christmas... When you come down and you see a Christmas tree, you see a lot of gifts that look like this, right? And if you saw one like this, you might be excited, you might not be. But, you know, I wonder if that's one of the reasons that people miss God's gift. God's gift is Jesus, right? Did Jesus come in fancy wrapping paper? No. And, you know, a lot of people thought that Jesus was going to come as this conquering king and this powerful leader. But how did Jesus come into the world? As a baby. Do you think they were expecting that? No. No, not at all. But, you know, despite how Jesus came into the world, he's the greatest gift that the world has ever known, right? Why is he the greatest gift? Because he died. Because he died and he saved us from our sins. Exactly. And the Bible tells us when Mary found out that she was chosen to deliver Jesus into this world, she was filled with joy. And she hurried to her cousin Elizabeth's home to share the good news. And as when she got there, Elizabeth had a baby inside of her as well, and the baby leapt inside of her womb. And Elizabeth said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is this child that you will bear. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord said would do what he said. You know, through Jesus, God sent us the gift of love in this world. That's what the students talked about this morning as our Advent candle is love and Jesus' love. And, you know, sometimes Jesus didn't come in pretty wrapping paper, but he still is the best gift that we could ever, ever get, right? So, next Sunday is Christmas. What's Christmas really about? All about Jesus. So, as you're opening gifts next week, and as you're all excited for no school and all that stuff, I want you to remember that Jesus is the real gift, and he is the reason that we celebrate And he loves you so much that he came to live and to die and to rise again for you. So don't forget to celebrate him on Christmas Day next week. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for these children. And I thank you that, Lord, you sent your son into this world um, to, as, as a gift to us, Lord, to offer us the gift of salvation through his life and his death and his resurrection. Lord, we cannot ever thank you enough for that gift. So, Lord, I pray that as we uh, get excited for Christmas and we get excited to celebrate next week, that you would keep in mind that the real reason for Christmas is to celebrate your son. We love you and we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Amen. Amen. Thanks, kids. You guys can head back to your seats. As the choir comes forward, I just want to take this moment to just remind you guys about the Bible reading challenge that we are looking forward to next year in 2023. Um, You guys might have seen this in the most recent newsletter. Um, It's a Bible reading plan that will take us through the entire Bible next year. And we are excited to be able to do that as a church family. So, We want to encourage you to read that on your own, but we've also are going to be preaching through this as well. So as you are reading, following along with this reading plan and you come to church on Sunday, I'm going to be preaching from something that you would have just read um, throughout the week. So it's going to be a great opportunity for us to, to focus on God's word together and to kind of bring us all around that as a church family as well. Now, I do have to point out, somebody asked me if, if they're doing the reading plan, does that mean they don't have to come to church on Sunday to hear me preach because I'm going to be preaching from some that. I hope you guys choose to still come to church on Sunday and, uh, and hear me preach from the reading plan. But we do hope that you guys are encouraged by this, and we do want to challenge you to stick with us throughout this year. So um, you can pick up a copy of the reading plan. There's printed copies of the Info Center in the office, and it was in the most recent newsletter as well. So this time, I want to invite the deacons to come forward for our offering this morning. Uh, we're blessed to have a double dose of special music this morning from Boulder Choir and Terry Wisman on the organ following that.
Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 16 through 30. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father leaves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raised the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is, he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. You may be seated. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we are here to hear from you this morning. We gather here in this place to praise you, to lift your name on high and to hear from your word. And so as we open up our Bibles together this morning, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. I pray your Holy Spirit would soften our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. And may your Holy Spirit give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So today is the last Sunday in Advent. We heard the Advent candle, the readings for the Advent candles read again this morning, and we're reminded again that this is a season of hope and joy and peace and love. And as, as a way to reflect on what that means for us this season, we have been looking at the gospel of Christmas this Advent season. And the way that we've been structuring our time together is by almost kind of breaking down John 3.16 for us. And we've heard that read every Sunday of Advent. And it's words that are so familiar to many of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so in the first Sunday of Advent, we looked at the first part of that verse about what it means that God loved the world, that because of God's love for us, he created us to know him, to love him, to serve him. But there was a problem, right? Sin entered the world. And so God needed to do something in order to restore that relationship. He needed to redeem his people for himself. And so God did that by sending his son Jesus into the world to rescue us. In Advent 2, we talked about what it means to believe and receive that gift of eternal life. That, that, that salvation we can experience is through believing in Christ as Savior and Lord. Right, that those that believe in him shall receive that gift. And so we talked last, I guess it was two Sundays ago, about what it means to trust in Jesus, that active trust, active faith. And so today we're going to talk about what that gift actually is and what we receive when we put our trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. 
and that is eternal life. John 3.16 reminds us that those who believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life, shall know him as Savior and Lord. And so we're going to look at John 5 today to help us understand what that means and reflect on that. And there's three things that I want us to learn from this passage. One is that the source of eternal life. Second is the splendor of eternal life. And third is the secret to experiencing eternal life in our world today. And so let's begin by looking at the source of eternal life. And we see clearly from this passage in John chapter 5 that the source of eternal life is Jesus Christ himself. That the Father has granted Jesus the authority to give eternal life to those whom he chooses. And in verse 24 it says that he gives eternal life to those who hear the word and believe in the Father. Believe in the one who sent him. And so it's important for us to first acknowledge that Jesus is the one who has the authority to give eternal life to us. And Jesus demonstrates this by by describing this very close relationship that he has with the Father. In response to the religious leaders' objections, he tells them that he only does what he sees the Father doing. And that the Father loves him and shows him everything that he does. And he goes even further to say that, that the Father, just as the Father gives life, so the Son gives life. And he goes on to say that the Father has given him authority to judge. You see how, you see the kind of claim that Jesus is making here? This is radical if you think about it. And he closes that section of verse 23 by by telling them that, that whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father, the one who sent him. Jesus is describing this extremely close relationship that he has with the Father that he and the Father truly are one. Now, for us today, that, that seems maybe obvious for someone who grew up in church and celebrates Christmas and understands that Jesus is the Son of God. But in that day, that idea was worth killing over. And that's exactly what the religious leaders wanted to do to Jesus. You see a little bit of context in this passage. Jesus had just healed the man who was by the pool of, of, of Bethesda. That was the first half of John chapter 5. And like many other instances, the religious leaders got a little worked up about it, not just because of the miracle of healing, but also because he had done it on the Sabbath. And so the initial confrontation, right, in this, that's described in this passage in verses 16 through 18, is because Jesus was healing on the Sabbath and the religious leaders were getting a little worked up about it. But it goes a step further when Jesus makes this connection between himself and the Father And in fact, that escalates the tension a bit. It says that the religious leaders considered it blasphemy and they wanted to kill Jesus for claiming to be on the same level as God. In fact, in John's gospel, there's 11 instances that mention in the gospel. And of course, we know the end of the story, right? Jesus eventually uh, is crucified, right? And and we always have to remember that Christmas eventually leads to Easter, right? We celebrate the birth of our Savior with the full knowledge and understanding that that child is going to grow, he's going to live, he's going to teach, he's going to perform miracles, and eventually he's going to, that road leads to the cross and the empty tomb. And so in this passage in John chapter 5, Jesus is making it clear that he has authority to give life just as the Father does. And he says here that he will give it to those who hear him and who believe the Father. We see that. I want to reread verse 24 for you. It says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. There's two important aspects of this that Jesus highlights. Those who hear the word and those who respond to it in faith. And so first we need to acknowledge the importance, how important it is for, for people to hear the gospel preached. Right? God could have revealed his plan of salvation in any number of ways. Right? But he chose to, to give us the message of the gospel and cho- chooses to use ordinary people like you and me, ordinary churches like ours, to proclaim the good news to a world that desperately needs to hear it. Paul acknowledged this in Romans chapter 10, verses 12 through 15. 
He says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. All right, notice what Paul is saying here. He says, look, the gospel is for everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the promise that we have in Christ. But in order for someone to believe, they need to hear the gospel preached, right? They need to know that Jesus came to rescue them from their sin. And so they cannot believe in the one who have they, they have not heard of. That's how important it is for us to share the gospel message with our friends and our family in a world that desperately needs to hear it. And it's not just hearing, though, right? It's, it's about trusting and believing and putting it into practice. And Jesus demonstrates that for us as well in the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of his teaching, he says, he gives the parable of the wise and the foolish builders. You guys are all familiar with this, right? Jesus says that those who hear his words and put them into practice are like the wise builder who builds his house on the rock. Right? Notice he doesn't just say hear. The foolish builder hears his words too. The difference between the wise builder and the foolish builder is they both hear the word, but only one puts them into practice. You see, that's the important part. We need to hear, but we also need to believe. So those who hear his words and believe the one who sent him receives eternal life. We talked about this a lot in Advent too, so I just want to briefly remind you, when we talk about belief, we're talking about active trust. The gospel demands a response. The last thing you want to do is let the message of the gospel go in one ear and out the other, right? All of you parents know what I'm talking about when I say that, right? How many times have we told our kids to do something or to, to go clean up their room and, and it goes, that message goes in one ear and out the other, right? But we can't let that be true of us when it comes to the gospel. We need to hear it, but then we also need to respond to it. We need to believe in the one who came to save us. In Acts chapter 16, the jailer who had just seen Paul and Silas miraculously freed from prison is, is dumbfounded, right? He doesn't know what to do with himself. And he turns to them and says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul's response is simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your entire household. Belief is the proper response to hearing the good news of the gospel. Now, if, if all it takes is to, to receive eternal life is to, to believe and to, to hear and to believe, then why is it that some people don't? Right? Take a moment and just think. We all have friends. We have family. We have coworkers. We know people that simply don't believe. Now, why is that the case? Well, I know that's a very complicated question, but there's a few things that come to mind as to why someone might refuse the gift of eternal life. One we've already touched on, they simply have not heard. Romans 10 reminds us that people need to hear the gospel in order to believe it. See, you cannot assume that someone knows even the basics of the Christian faith anymore. Right? We, we, we sometimes take for granted what people know and understand about Jesus. We think that they have a basic understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done. But I don't think we can just assume that in our world today. We almost have to go back to square one with people and, and be willing to tell them about Jesus, to, to explain what may seem to us the basics of the faith, but for them may be brand new information. We need to be willing to share the gospel, and sometimes that means going back to square one. People don't believe because they have not heard. The second thing we need to remind ourselves, remember is that, that sometimes people refuse the gift because they prefer what Scripture describes as the darkness. If you were to flip just a couple chapters back to John chapter 3, again, this is following John 3.16, which we have read referenced so many times during the sermon. But in John chapter 3, beginning of verse 19, he says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, 
but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that they, what they have done has been done in the sight of God. You see, sometimes people refuse the gift because they prefer their sin or they prefer their chosen path in life. And I know that maybe it doesn't... We just have to look out in our world today to see the truth of that statement, right? There's a lot of darkness out there. There's a lot of sin in our world today. And and sometimes people are caught up in sin and they would choose to stay in the dark rather than allow their sins to be exposed by the light. See, belief, part of coming to faith in Christ is acknowledging our sin before the Lord, confessing our sin and turning from it. And that is a very difficult thing for some people to do. And third, sometimes people refuse the gift because they do not want to be ruled over. They choose to to rule over their own lives rather than give that right over to God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, this is Paul speaking to Timothy. He says, Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Now that's quite a list, isn't it? Right? There are were, were a lot of a lot of things listed there, but notice what he start what what is at the top of the list. People will be lovers of themselves, right? In other words, people are going to choose to put them first, their own preferences, their own ways, rather than submit themselves to the Lord. It really is kind of a form of self-idolatry, right? This, this, the fruit of the seed that was planted all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent whispered to Eve, yeah, you can be like God. Yeah, you can set the rules for yourself and know that determine right and wrong on your own. And we see how that, that lie has permeated all of culture as we see it now today. A great example of this is, is from a very popular Disney movie not too many years ago. Right? Think, of, think of Elsa singing Let It Go and Frozen. Right? What is the main theme of that song? No one has the right to tell me what to do. No one has the right to, to put me in a box and tell me how I should feel or what I, how I should act. The whole theme of that song, Let It Go, the whole theme of Frozen is that Elsa can choose her own way of living, her own way of doing things, and no one else has the right to tell her what to do. That's that, the fruit of that seed of self-idolatry, of self-determination, of that radical individualism that our culture promotes. So, so I gave you three reasons why someone might refuse the gift of eternal life. They have not heard, they prefer the dark, or they refuse to be ruled over. So in response to those things, it's important for us to allow God to work in and through us to reach those people, right? To, so that we can, with the Holy Spirit's help working in and through us, help people to receive the gift of eternal life rather than refuse it. And so for those who have not heard, we need to be willing to preach the word. Again, I go back to Romans 10. People need to hear the gospel preached. For those that prefer the dark, we need to be the light that shines in the darkness, right? We need to allow God's light to shine through us. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus reminds us that you are the light of the world, right? And when you let your light shine before others, people will see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven, Right? That's the goal of the Christian life, is to allow God's light to shine in us and through us so that others may see it and be drawn to God. And for those that refuse to be ruled over, we as Christians need to set an example and model radical and humble obedience to our Savior. For we need to show the world what it looks like to choose to put God first in our lives. We need to choose to make Him our number one priority. In Mark 8.35, in fact, this same idea is echoed in all four Gospels. Jesus says, whoever wants to lose, 
excuse me, whoever wants to save your life will lose it. But whoever loses your life for me and for the gospel will save it. Right? People that so desperately want to be, put themselves in God's place, so desperately want to rule over their own lives, they're going to realize that as they go through life and stand before the Lord, they're going to, they're going to, that life slips through their fingers and out of their grasp. But those who willingly give up their life, those who are willing to put God first and humble and radical obedience to him are going to realize they're going to gain eternal life, something better than this world could ever offer on its own. And so we as Christians need to be willing to model that sort of radical and humble obedience so that others may see it as well. So we recognize that Christ is the source of eternal life. We need to also, we also are reminded that we also need to reflect on the splendor of eternal life. That eternal life in Christ is greater than what you could call mortal life or normal life in this world. And that difference can be experienced in a few different ways. One, it's a quantitative difference. In other words, this eternal life that God gives us through Christ is going to last forever. Right? All of us one day are going to are going to set this life this mortal life aside. Somebody once said the only guarantees in life are death and taxes, right? And all of us one day are going to do that unless Jesus comes before that time. But in in Christ we are given eternal life. Every person is created to live forever. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says he has made everything beautiful in its time and he's also set eternity in the human heart. Jesus even reminds us in this passage that one day all people will be raised in the general resurrection. Some, the bad, will be raised to judgment. The good will be raised to eternal life. And that life that God grants us through Christ is... (coughs) excuse me, is never-ending. I think of the final verse of Amazing Grace, that classic hymn, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. Our opportunity to praise God in His presence will never end. Everything in this life All of our experiences, both good and bad, are just going to be a blip on the radar. A drop in the ocean compared to the never-ending joy and peace and love that we will experience in the presence of God. And so the splendor of eternal life is a, a difference in quantity, but it's also a difference in quality. In John chapter 10, Jesus reminds us that he has come to give life and give it to the fullest, give give it in abundance. See, this eternal life that God gives us in Christ is a present reality that's based on a future hope. He says a time will come and is now here. He says that in verse 25. A time will come and is now here. In other words, this eternal life that we experience in Christ isn't something that we just have to hold out and wait on. It's not something that we'll experience one day in the sweet by and by. It's something that we can know and experience here and now. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. That's present tense. The new is here. If you've put your trust in Christ, that new creation is a reality in your life. You may not look different. There's not going to be a physical change, but there will be a spiritual change, an internal change. I talked at the beginning of the sermon about a little bit of the scandal that was at play here. The original audience was offended that Jesus claimed divine authority to give life. That's something that only God can do, right? And so they were willing to kill him over it. But today there's something a little different that's scandalous about this passage and about this idea of eternal life. See, the scandalous aspect of this passage today is that there's eternal life at all. That there is something beyond this current life and world. So many people today, including many Christians, are so focused 
on, on what we see right in front of our faces that we forget that God has given us something even greater to experience in him. C.S. Lewis, reflecting on our passions and our experiences in this world, said that we are often like children playing with mud pies in a dirty alley who have no idea what vacation at the beach is like. We're so focused on on wallowing in our own dirt, in our own mess that we've made, that we have no idea of the joy and the splendor and the goodness and the beauty that God offers us in Christ. See, that's the scandal in our world today. So many people are fixated on, on trying to experience life in the here and now that they, they miss out on the joy of eternity. And one more aspect about the splendor of eternal life is that it's permanent. Jesus says that he will give eternal life to all who hear his words and believe in the Father. And later on in John chapter 10, he reminds us that those whom the Father gives him, he will not lose. In John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30, he says this, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Praise God for that, right? Praise God that no matter what you experience in this life, no matter what challenges you face, that, that you are secure in Christ. Think about it this way. If, if God has accomplished everything necessary for your salvation, if God has done it all for you in and through Christ on the cross, and all you have to do is believe in response, right? If God has done all of the work to earn your salvation, then he will also see you through, right? If you cannot earn your salvation for yourself, you also cannot unearn it, Right? So theologians call the perseverance of the saints that in Christ we are secure that no one and nothing can snatch us out of the father's hand that as, as we believe in him and put our trust in him he will hold us secure to the end eternal life is a permanent gift given to us by the father through Christ and experienced through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we've talked about the source of eternal life and the splendor of eternal life. And I want to close by reflecting on the secret to experiencing eternal life today. And the first thing we need to understand is it comes in and through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. John 17, 3, Jesus in his prayer to the Father says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Eternal life is to know the Father through the Son and by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. I mentioned earlier the importance of believing in Christ and, and the first step in that relationship is confessing our need for Him. Right? And that's the first step for all of us, isn't it? We need to acknowledge our need for God. Eternal life begins when we, when we put our trust in Him as Savior and Lord and that means that we confess our sins and repent and turn to Him but it's a relationship that's also maintained by committing ourselves to spending time with the Lord. You hear me talk about it all the time, the importance of prayer, of Bible reading, of silence, of fellowshipping with other Christians and worshiping God together. If we want to know and experience eternal life, it means that we are committing ourselves to know the Lord and spend time with him. God has given us his words so that we may know him. Later on in John chapter 5, as this conversation with the religious leaders continues, in verse 39 and 40, Jesus says this, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. See, God gives us his word. The reason why the Bible is so important for us as Christians is because it points us to Christ. God has given us his word so that we may know him, so that we may know his character, so that we may understand what he's done for us. And it's in his word, it's studying his word, it's meditating on his word that we know and have a relationship 
with Christ through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And so the secret to experiencing eternal life is, is dedicating yourself to God, to having a relationship with Him. And, and you do that in and through. One of the ways you maintain that is in and through the study of God's Word. Another way that we can experience eternal life in our world today is by giving ourselves in service to God and to others. I mentioned already Mark eight thirty five: those who seek to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for his sake and for the gospel will gain it. Matthew 22 reminds us that the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. If you want to experience the joy of eternal life, if you want to experience what's that, what that's like, it's, it's, you find it in a relationship with God and you find it by giving yourself away, by serving God and serving others. A life of radical service and radical obedience to God. And so I want to encourage you now in closing to live in light of eternity. I mentioned before that eternal life is a present reality based on a future hope. So often we, we, get, we, we don't think about the future. We make all of our decisions. We, we organize all of our priorities around the here and the now. But to experience eternal life in the here and the now, we need to keep our sights set on our future hope in Christ. Where Allie and I used to live up in northeast Ohio, there were a lot of Amish in the area I could hardly drive from Ashland to Huntington to go to work at the church without passing a buggy or two on the way. Uh, and and the th- if you've ever been around an Amish buggy or seen them, mo- most often they have blinders on their horses, right? For a horse that's driving down a busy road, it's important that they're not distracted by the other cars and, and the other things that are going on. The horse needs these blinders in order to focus on what's ahead of it and not be spooked or distracted by the things that are going on off to the side. I think it's important for as Christians that we have a set of spiritual blinders on. Not that we ignore the rest of the world around us, not that those things aren't important, but we need to be able to focus our attention on Christ where it belongs. We need to focus our attention on His Word, on the promises that He makes us, on that future hope that He's instilled in us. And we need to be able to Focus on him and not be distracted by the world around us, right? Not be so spooked at times, if I can use that word as well, by what's going on in the world around us. We need to have spiritual blinders so that we can focus on what's important, so that we can experience eternal life in our world today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that we have the opportunity to hear from it. I pray that as we close our time here, that you'd help us to know the source of eternal life and the splendor of eternal life and the secret to experiencing it here and now. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you as we close our service to stand with us and sing our closing song led by the praise team, Only a Holy God.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.